Heather Tunnell and Jeremy Tunnell. Streaming to you recorded from Seattle, Washington. Here. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Plowline Podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Tunnell. And I am your host, Jerry Ubalarosa Tunnell. Welcome, everyone. And uh, today we're going to be talking with Sophia Pastor. Is that how I said? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Executive and co director and founder of Farmer Frog, a nonprofit organization that turns underutilized sites into environmentally sound food producing farms and gardens. So we're really excited for you to be here, Sophia. But before we get started, um, one of the things that is really important for us to do is honor the land in which we are currently residing. And I will begin by acknowledging that those of us who are gathering in the Seattle, Washington area north, we are on the ancestral homelands of the Coast Salish peoples who have lived in the Salish Sea Basin since time immemorial. We respect and honor this place and the sacred spiritual connection to the land, water, and its people, past, present, and future. By acknowledging these lands and their original indigenous inhabitants, we reach back to our own indigenous roots and reflect on the impact of colonialism and the lands from which all our people come. We are connected to our ancestors through this connection to land, for the land is what connects us all. It is also critical for us to acknowledge that this country would not exist if it wasn't for the free enslaved labor of black people and the contributions of Chinese railroad workers in helping complete the most important construction project in the mid-19th century America. To add to the mix of acknowledgement that our country has failed to do, I'd like to also honor the ancestors, the Filipino Manongs, who played a significant role in building the farm workers movement in the 1920s and 30s, organizing and striking alongside Mexican immigrants, Cesar Chavez and Dolores Herta. It is critical for us to honor the legacy of the African, Asian, indigenous and native diaspora and the knowledge to care for these lands and the skills to build the America we all share today. So please join me in taking a moment to honor the land of the traditional peoples and the territories in which you stand. Today, we honor the Tulalip tribes and allied bands for their enduring care and protection of this land And I also honor the life and labor of the Black, Asian, Native, and Indigenous communities by expressing my deepest respect and gratitude. And what a way to honor the land by having Sophia here, um, who actually turns places into food sources. So welcome, Sophia. Thank you. So tell us about exactly what does what does Farmer Frog do? That's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always how many uh, elevator pitches do I have time for, right? <laughs> so um, we started out with school gardens, and we really just started out because um, we had nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. In 2009, um, the ca- country was going through the Great Recession, and we lost our high-end design-build landscape construction company. And we were idling. You know, we were building outdoor kitchens and enormous koi plants for a long time, and there was not, none of that going on. And as a horticulturist from eight years on, 
um, growing food nonstop or every year, every May, even in the refugee camp, every spend some time in little pots. I always grew food. So the teachers at our kids' school knew that. And um, in December 2009, a lot of families lost their homes and stayed in their cars at Olivia Park Elementary in South Everett. And um, teachers there, Miss um, Olson and Miss Hansen, they asked me if we could start growing some food for the families to take with, for eating something fresh. And we said, sure. So that's how that started. We cleaned out a big area in the back of the school that was all infested with blackberries and whatnot, and it was really in terrible shape and, you know, just not a good community space. And by July, we were feeding 700-plus families a week. Wow. And so then, you know, news spreads, and more schools came, and more families came, and more teachers came, and we just started doing this all the time. And... um I started newsletters at the schools, you know, okay, this is what's going to be harvested this week. This is how you can fix it and eat it. And we just, it was just like the one thing led to the other, really. Mm-hmm. And then uh, by 2012, um, I had absolutely zero life. My family had zero life. If kids wanted to talk to me, they had to find me in one of the gardens. And that's <laughs> how that worked. And so Will Allen came to town and I thought, yeah, I'm going to talk to him and ask him what he does, because how does he do this? And to know about Will Allen, he is uh, a retired basketball player, and he is the grandfather of urban agriculture in the U.S. Mm. He helped uh, with the White House garden to go in at the time. He's, he was honored as a um, MacArthur genius, and he really is an, a phenomenal man. So he came to the Pull-Up Fair, and I asked uh, if I could have 20 minutes with him. And Chris, you know, who always steers the pot, Chris Hudima, she and I were doing the festival, and Chris wanted to know from Will if she could talk to him about how he does festivals. And so Chris was like, well, okay, let's go. You want to come? Okay. All right, let's go. I got the 20 minutes for us. Uh, Kids were with us because Julia, our daughter, was back from school, vet school, and um, Mate, our, how many, 10-year-old at the time, um, you know, he was just home for the weekend. So it's like, okay, let's all go. And so we all went. And um, there were technical difficulties, whatnot, so Will had to wait. And so we were talking, and the 20 minutes grew into hours, and Will asked Mate if he played sports, and he said, yeah, he plays uh, chook ball. Will never heard of it, so Mate taught him how to play chook ball. Then Will couldn't start his laptop, he needed help, so then Julia jumped in and showed him how to do the presentation and and uh, stayed with him for the whole time. And then, you know, we ended up talking in the afternoon and then on the next day. And then when he was coming back through Seattle that time, and I ended up going out and study with him and take training for six months in Milwaukee. Wow. And so um, the first thing he said is that you have to become a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay, that sounds great. But how do you leave a school garden that you've built and make sure it's successful and move on to the next one. Because, you know, my OCD is like, <laughs> you complete a job and then you start another one. Well, he said in his 20 years, he's never done one like that. He's never left a school garden yet. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm sure to have a divorce after this. It's like, <laughs> you know, I mean, there are boundaries, right? <laughs> right. And so... <laughs> and yours have been pushed. My husband was about, you know, to... <laughs> not look so candidly to a garden anymore. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just trying to process all this. So 
we we talked and I said, I'll, I'll figure out a way, Zod. We're going to be the first to do this the right way. We're going to figure this out. <laughs> And uh, so he he was like hanging in there. And um, I came back from Milwaukee the, after the first trip out there in January. That, that was actually multiple trips, but the first winter trip, oh my gosh, 35 below. Okay, so you dump the water out and it's ice by the time it reaches the wow. ground. And we were building hoop houses out there. Oh my wow. gosh. Yeah. And um, so it was just, it was crazy. And um, they use um, a jackhammer because the, uh, the soil is so frozen to get the posts in. And I'm like, oh, I know that. I use jackhammers too, Uh-oh. but we do it because we have rocks. <laughs> and then they are like, okay, so how deep is your frost level? Like, oh, I don't know, maybe an inch. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and they are like, feet. <laughs> so I came back in January 2013, and the first thing I did is like, Jot, you're really going to have to do this. This is amazing. <laughs> and so I'm showing him how to do this, and we built the first hoop has at Olivia Park. And then um, we started, you know, adding more at Edmonds Community College, all these places where we already had gardens by then. And so hoop houses were going in left and right. And um, it really became very clear when I finished up with uh, the training at Will that we need to have a headquarters site and it cannot be at a school. Hmm. Because we cannot be depending on a school administration that has so many things put on them that having an an element like that will just really make it hard for everyone involved. So I was looking and I'm banging on every door. I have a tendency to really go for stuff when I decide that I'm going to get it done. And um, in 2014, November, I got a call from Chris Muller, who was at County Parks at the time. And he said he is going to be in the afternoon at this place out in Woodenville. And um, it's available for farmer, farming and farmers. Do I want to come and look at it? So I did. I went out there. It, uh, you had to park down and then walk up because there were weeds and garbage and a lot of things. It was just in total disrepair. But I could really see it. It was just... It was a beautiful spot. It was an old farm, one of our centennial farms. And um, it needed love and needed care, but there was just, it was it. And I could see this enormous cedar tree in the back. And I'm just, wow, you know, this is, this is it. I could see it. So, you know, I told Chris, sure, I'll put in the proposal. What's the max page limit? He goes, well, no more than 20 pages. Okay. <laughs> and then... Um, the other farms, farmers, they, they were out there. They, they, they couldn't wait to run because it's not the topography that you can. You cannot get a tractor even today, and especially today after we built a lot of hoop houses. You cannot get tractors just loose on that site and, and row. It's you, probably you can't wet, do isn't that. it? And the soil is not very good. Yeah. And there was a lot of trash everywhere. So they were like, no, no, no. I was, yeah, this is it. So on my way, I'm calling my husband, who, mind you, you know, wanted me to close one school garden and start another, not, you know. I'm calling him and I'm like, well, I found the headquarters, you know. And he's just like, really? So what is it? Well, it's an old farm in Woodenville. What's the address? So I give him the address. Okay, okay, all right, okay. So I'm heading home and uh, I'm waiting. It's already dark out. And I'm like, where are you? He goes, well... Just left the farm. <laughs> How did you get in? Oh, I jumped the fence. Yeah. <laughs> so he went in and he peeked and looked and he goes, you find the money, I build it for you. Wow. Oh. So... There he goes, you know, he's, I don't know how many times, wow, sort of thing. You know, it's like, <laughs> okay. And um, 
we did the 20 page proposal made it fit it had everything and i always say that it had and the kitchen sink Mm -hmm. because commercial kitchen learning kitchen all those things and it got accepted and then we started working on it for 18 months all we did was clean up we filled up essentially a 40 cubic yard uh dumpster container every single saturday wow and there was a lot of garbage. It out was there. a lot, yeah. and uh, and you know, it's just we got buildings cleared out. We found them really like that's how that went. We rebuilt. We had an Eagle Scout team come out, and they did an amazing job on one of the little sheds that was fallen over in the Blackberry, and they restored the actual new building. Looks just like the original. It's it's perfect. Wow. And then uh, we added, you know. Um, elements to stabilize structures and just those things exposing fences and uh finding the old things and um we found the old apple orchard we found the old this we found the old that and um after 18 months we had a wonderful team came out the naop group mm-hmm. and um i don't know if you know narima amin from global social business partners she connected us to them and then um they came out and donated a lot of material and a lot of time and 550 people helped us put gravel on the old logging roads and starting our hoop house projects and starting our bear fencing projects because we are in habitat so the site is actually sacred it's um on the headwaters to bear creek mm-hmm. and um grandmother cedar is a very special tree we yeah. now know that she is grandmother cedar she does have presence that is just incredible. And um, our um, Coastal Salish uh, team members and, and board members, they hold ceremonies there all the time. So again, December 12th, we'll be celebrating Cedars. And um, we will be honoring Grandmother Cedar and thanking her for all her support because she's one of our advisors. Mm-hmm. And uh, because we are in the middle of a really big forest, 840 acres, we have black bears, the largest black bear habitat west of the Cascades is really right there in Woodenville. That's awesome. And um, they are really cute. And um, coyotes, lots of coyotes. We have amazing photos of them and videos. And oh my gosh, because we've been monitoring them now for so many years. We have a whole wildlife program. So, um, owls, I'm sure we have uh, lots of owls and eagles oh, and hawks and yeah, all of the. We have river there. otters. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What about cougars? There's freshwater clam in the well, mussels, freshwater mussels in the wow. in the stream. Yeah, we do have cougars, wow. and so cougar showed up. Um, it's really beautiful. Um, I had a message. Um, I talk to grandmother Cedar all the time, and so I had a message about the about cat nation in the forest and it was just like okay we've seen the bobcat many times walked through the farm regularly when people are around too doesn't bother anyone but there but we haven't seen cougar yet and when people say that oh they see the cougar you know it's do they really i mean does it have a long tail or a short tail i mean people confuse things you know it's whatever it's bigger than a kitty cat but then cougar came and so yeah, it's just incredible. So that was when we finally we, uh, we were tracking and looking at the camera images, and our wildlife director Jane and I we were looking and we see the cougar there, and mm-hmm. we both started screaming, "Cougar, cougar, <laughs> cougar!" And everyone's running to the barn like, "Where, where?" Yeah, 
<laughs> and it's just no no on the computer on the computer look at the pictures so yeah it's really beautiful and very very um important but we needed protective fencing right yeah. from that right, right and uh and we needed the fencing because um you know we don't want to have them get in trouble when there is a conflict if right. there is a wildlife human conflict wildlife doesn't make it out alive right. and so we want to make sure that mm-hmm. they are protected so uh neop helped us start that fencing project but you know we've been working since fall 2017 on building this farm and restoring this farm like actual construction projects every single day since there it's a big project at this point um it's eight hoop houses and they are big and they're producing your hand and we have aquaponics and we have citrus and we have all kinds of things we have uh, multiple garden areas stages learning spaces we have lots of animal pastures um four amazing giant dogs the livestock guardian dogs who i just adore and um you know it's it's just incredible that's where that is so what do we do with all of this so we have school garden programs we have food sharing programs i'll talk about that in a little bit a little more we have uh, educational hands-on farm educational programs also so at the school we don't just teach about how to grow food we use the school gardens as outdoor classrooms and lab spaces and we provide stem steam education in those spaces through the food and garden we also have uh, as i mentioned our bear with me wildlife program the the school garden is called soil to stem because it's for social outreach innovative learning mm. to science technology engineering and math we feel that without the social component we just creating humanoid ai science on its own we need we need the morals to go along with science yep. and that comes from the social component sure so um so we have um education food sharing lots of various farming um we teach this too we have apiaries we have you know with the beehives with the livestock all of those things and then um we have studios so farmer frog studios is an art program actually it also includes video and um musicians young musicians um fashion design fashion design um whatever draws young people so covid put a real shift on all of this of course but um we are finding our way um not back to i what we was before i don't want to get back to what was before the pandemic because <laughs> right. it was not a good time <laughs> but i'd like to find a way forward with the wisdom beginning from the pandemic mm-hmm. so slowly so you know whatever day it is that's what we do food distribution i was just mentioning to you earlier that we just received 2000 turkeys to give out so we responded to covid and started moving food and supplies in some large volumes it's not just farmer frog we have hundreds of partners but um you know over the course of the last 21 months we moved over 130 million pounds of food in wow. 36 states to That's 3 million people so um yeah these are all things we do <laughs> <laughs> and this best period on that ever well Boom. and 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 just just everything you know sofia i've i've known you for a few years now and you definitely have a vision of you know collective healing throughout the whole entire world and you know just being able to 
feed individuals. And, you know, it's like I, I know that when we, we have to meet that um, Maslow's hierarchy, right? And when we miss some of that, then a person is not really living whole. Mm-hmm. And you provide part of that. So that is just absolutely amazing. And your ability to coexist in nature by including, you know, it's like you're not excluding anybody. You're welcoming the cougars. You're welcoming in the, the <laughs> eagles, right? Yeah. It's like we're in their space. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when, when we look at how society is built, it is very exclusionary. Mm-hmm. And it's not inclusion. And, um, you know, you and I were talking uh, last week on um, how far does a tomato travel? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jeremy and I, we we had the opportunity to grow tons of tomatoes this, you know, this last spring and summer. And the tomato went from like 25 feet Mm -hmm. from where it was to our table. Yeah. But then we were, you and I were talking about the t- the tomatoes in the grocery store, yeah. and the energy that mm-hmm. is put into all of that that mm-hmm. we eat. Let, let's talk about that. Well, yeah, one thing is actual fossil fuel energy because we move these things all over the planet. Um, it really got me. It was on the news last week um, that a new coffee shop, uh, some ice cream or some soft whatever sweet thing opened up and it's a japanese street and they bring the milk from japan to do that (laughs) and i know mind you i know that our dairy business in the dairy commodity world travels all over the world i know that the u.s is shipping milk out to japan and new zealand to china and i get it but the insanity of this it, it it's it was just so striking and it must stop. Yeah. It must stop. We, we have better things to do. And I think the crisis with the supply chain right now is really driving it home. Do you really have to ship it across the country? Do you have to really ship, ship it across the ocean? Do you have to really make sure that it circles the planet twice before it lands in someone's hand? So um, very, very much wasteful. And, you know, um, it was actually my mom who made me think about this years ago. When she once said that with the fossil fuel, what also gets her is that we're going to run out and then we won't have plastic for our very important things like hospitals, mm-hmm. where you must have those things. They, they are critical. So we're wasting it on silly disposable toys, mm. one-time used whatever, and shipping things all over. Mm. So we have to change that. That's the number one energy. That's an interesting That's, idea. You know, the... The idea that that's that's one you don't hear very often. The idea of um, you know uh, of conservation um, also means conserving this resource yeah. um, that could be utilized for something far more effective than mm-hmm. tires and yeah. gasoline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we do need disposable things at the hospital sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. just think about COVID right now. Right. Mm-hmm. They're saving lives. Yeah, every piece of PPE is yeah. made out of petroleum, yeah. I'm sure. So we're going to have to make sure that we rethink that. But um, so that's one thing that's really obvious, you know, when we think about the transportation. But um, all, there, there is just so much unspoken when it comes to food. Number one is its life. 
if we don't eat things that were at some point living, we eat plastic and it's not good for us. Mm-hmm. So at some point, whatever we eat was alive, whether it was a plant or an animal, generally, or mushrooms, you know, I mean, those are another category on their <laughs> own. But um, they were alive. And um, what that life looked like for them. Um, we raise livestock and we do um, eat animal products. We eat meat, we eat eggs, we eat honey, we, you know, various things. We raise our, our uh, poultry and love them. We gather the eggs out of their moms. We hatch them. We raise them by hand. We make sure that they are really happy. We laugh with them. We cry with them. And if they need medical attention, we call the vet and spend $500 on a rooster who got into a fight and is injured. So um, at the same time, plants, you know, uh, we also care for them in a way that they have a fulfilling life because Carrots in my mind and tomatoes also have goals, except, you know, they, it's not so obvious. And who am I to judge? We know that they communicate. There are so many studies out now. We are admiring, you know, the mother tree and uh, the forest's ability to send messages through the network of the fungi. That means life, right? Yes, it does. And that also means that whether or not we relate to it, there is cognitive ability, mm. uh, whether it's a com- communal ability or individual, we don't understand it. I always laugh. We are seeking alien life when we are surrounded by it. We <laughs> right. still can't understand what Intelligent. The, you know, yeah. your tree is thinking in the backyard that, you know, whatever. Yeah, I was telling my nephew that uh, um, he likes the subject of, of consciousness and um and he has a hard time. In fact, his whole group of friends who like to talk about it, um, they have a hard time understanding the difference uh, between your subconscious, you know, you know, this idea of something rooted inside the body and that consciousness is in the body. And what I keep trying to explain to him is that um, looking for consciousness inside the body is like looking for the radio announcer inside the radio. That's right. And, uh, yeah. and the consciousness that is mm-hmm. an animating this life within me is the consciousness that's animating the life in that tree yeah and um and the you know and the 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 life the way that that life is expressing itself through the Mm -hmm. body of that tree is not human in form just like the life expressing itself in this dog is not human in form but this dog has a consciousness and it's as deep and as as rich as is mine in fact it's the same Mm -hmm. and um and so um, I love, I, I know which tree you're talking about. I've stood up on the bluff up above a few times to look down at the farm and, and, uh, and, um, that, that old cedar is beautiful. It's huge. Yeah. And that forest is full of old trees like that. Yes. Yes. And, and all of them are conscious. And they are. And, you know, to me, it's just a matter of acknowledging the life. Yeah. Even if we don't understand it, we have to be conscious of it that there is consciousness mm-hmm. right, right. and we have to acknowledge that so um as we as we are working through the tomato what kind of life that tomato had mm-hmm. and um the soil that it was growing in what was the soil like because we know that soil you know words have meanings and and we speak and we forget it but in the english soil in particular is connected so much to our soul mm-hmm. and the soul of our feet you you know it's just we have to really stop for a minute because it, we are talking about the skin of mother earth and 
we also have to understand how thin and fragile it is. Mm-hmm. And so soil needs to be happy and joyful and full of life in order to produce good food. We know that the nutritional value goes up of the whatever we harvest if it's growing in good, rich soil. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about all of this when we pick this tomato up, right, in the grocery store. It reflects in the flavor, which is just shame because (laughs) if you eat a tomato that traveled 25 feet you will never be able to eat a tomato from the grocery (laughs) store i'm sorry yeah (laughs) it's just not gonna i don't care if it says heirloom on there or not (laughs) um you know it's just it's just not it and so um so but but the flavor comes from all the all of this loss you know the the, all the transportation the the unhappiness of the plant itself the soil conditions the now the weather conditions that is really caused, you know, by our actions, and it's no longer a supportive, good, steady climate, but it's something random that um, they constantly have to fend for, you know, the the plant and vegetation in particular, because they cannot even hide from it, and so um, all of that comes to it, and the trauma that is experienced by these beings. Mm-hmm. And then comes the, the generational trauma because the seed does carry the DNA, right? And, um, and so when I, we are looking at it, as you said, the cedar trees in the forest. Um, grandmother cedar is one of the largest cedars there. And because the Lloyd family from Wales settled there in the 1870s, they, um, you know, entered the wilderness and had a, a lot of kids and they had this land and they had to make a living so they logged they logged this the area twice mm. so grandmother cedar witnessed all of her ancestors getting killed mm. yeah she was kept but she's only a few hundred years old it's really a a, a big big deal that she is yes, a few hundred yes. years old but she's a baby right, right. cedar trees live yeah, thousands, thousands of, of years, years right and so she's a baby but now required to be the elder mm. yes and have to you know what does that mean right and then the second logging any kind of younger tree that was starting to grow she witnesses that Mm -hmm. so there is all that trauma that had to be overcome and the pain that ripened into wisdom at a very early young age Mm. you know and then the willingness to share that Mm -hmm. and and so it's it's through her seeds too yeah and there how many is of those trees in that forest are her now, right? seeds. like you look yeah you look out and you see the cedar trees and so it is it is that and now witnessing all the hemlocks going away and there is mm. nothing anyone including us can do about that because it's it's something that we triggered and the system is collapsing and so the hemlocks who are always more fragile than others they are going out yeah and they are dying and falling apart so there is a lot of that to process. How long have you noticed the hemlocks going out? Oh, it's been a long time now. I mean, for years, right? But it's, it's getting really bad. Yeah. So you got now, you can really see it. And in the beginning, like we started there seven years ago, you could see some of the treetops. And then now you look in and you can tell that's dying, dying, dead, 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 dead. And yeah. that's, you know, it's almost no healthy hemlock. However, there will be a few. There will be a few that will have resiliency in them, and they will start spreading their seeds. And so there is a hope. The you know, there's always a, a hope. New future. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm really careful writing anybody off 
but they are really struggling. And we have to be careful in recognizing that and honor that trauma. Mm. And honor the trauma of being able to see it, but not being able to do much about it. And so... um, it's um, it's 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 going back to the tomatoes trauma. So the generational trauma of the tomato. The tomato is one of those plants that were really impacted by colonization. Mm. Mm. Tomatoes were taken out of their natural native habitat, and then spread across the world. And a lot of places fall fell in love with them. Right? It's like the same with the peppers, paprika. I know I'm Hungarian, right? Paprika is like. My native plant. I grow paprika and uh, everywhere, but it's not. It came to us through the colonization, and we were getting it through trades. Hungarians didn't send big ships at, but um, we traded, and we were in Europe, and we benefited from all of this. And now we have all of our Hungarian specialty paprikas, mm. and they, we are famous of that. But you know, it's and and so the paprika in particular in Italy, tomato and paprika in Hungary, they found the home where they were really welcomed, right? And, and so they were able to um, expand, but in a lot of places they were looked upon, you know, with suspicion or, a, you know, and even in these places now, the way we grow them, it's abusive. Mm. You know, um, Spain, for example, went to the greenhouses, right? They, they are the hotbeds of, of Europe. You see 10, 20 acres of farms turned into greenhouses. There is not a tree in place. There is not a square inch of soil exposed. It's all greenhouses. So when we say that something's organic and grown without pesticides, it doesn't mean that it is sustainable or good for the earth, right? We have to be very careful what terms mean. Um, You know, I'm careful who I mentioned the trauma conversation to because sometimes people look at me with cross eyes. Well, they don't understand. But, you know, this has to be taken into account. And so the tomato in particular is such an abused plant. Where did it originate from? I, th- I always kind of thought it would have originated from the Mediterranean, but... Central America. Really? Yeah. Man, so tropics. much was taken yeah. from, from and Central North, America. North, South America, and Central America, the tropical areas. And they are actually um, growing for multiple years if they have the right climate. They are not an annual. Uh-huh. Right? right. And they are perfectly fine growing in the crevices of trees and, and where, you know, limbs connect with trunks and they can grow in multiple ways. I mean, you know, the indeterminate ones in particular, they can just grow forever. Hmm. And so you give them a little bit of a sunny spot and they do just fine, but they actually don't need full sun if the temperature is the right temperature and they get some light. Yeah. So, um, you know, the chili, the pepper. Same thing, you know, there's also the, there are the capsicum from Asia, the various um, different kinds, you oh, know, chilies. but the, the, those are also, um, but, you know, the South North America and then Central America and North South America, again, is peppers. A lot of the nightshade plants come from here. Eggplants are, are similar um, area, but more of the Asian um, and Central Asian uh, regions. You know, you look at corn, the same thing. Mm-hmm. The trauma. Um, we complain about having to produce, right? How many times you hear people that they are burning out because they can't, just the speed at work and all. You know, when we shut down, the celebration of we didn't have to go into the office. Right. Well, you know, the normal corn doesn't have 2,000 kernels on it. Mm. The original corn is small. It has a lot fewer 
we are we are we through hybridization and now genetic modification when it comes to the case of corn it's not the same for tomato we have created scenarios where they are artificially forced into these battens i mean they are like a baseball bat when you get them from the right. store right yeah the flavor through corn has there are some that has actually very little sweetness others are really really sweet um there is a flowery like you're eating a flower sort of flavor to it sometimes mm. uh, there are over 1200 corn species in the world and one is probably majorly produced in the United States. Well, yeah, we have a couple, yeah. but that's about it. And yeah. it's mostly hybrids. And so, you know, beans, all of these things that are just, you know, amazing are, are carrots and beets where, you know, like, our, you know, in our area, the brassicas, the beets from Hungary, you know, all these various, all the root type vegetables, the, the, the original herbs, so many things got lost. And so that injury is all carried in the genes. Mm. It doesn't go away. We are now understanding how genes are impacted by trauma on humans. Yep. And yep. we are starting to look at it in animals. You know, mm. like the conversation between the difference of a wolf, a livestock guardian, wild dog, because they are still very, very wild compared to other pet dogs and then the pet dog yeah. and how they actually are becoming three very distinct canine groups and um you know and then there's the coyotes and the fox and all of those they can hybridize right and uh they can even continue breeding a lot of times it's not a dead end road but the genes show the difference and then one of the most beautiful things that are discovered is how the grizzly and human dna Mm. impacted by one another mm. that is that is getting studied so i'm expecting that sooner or later we are going to get down to the plants and you know i've been talking to plants since i was eight so uh, <laughs> i know and and we will finally have those conversations and we'll look at the genetic material and how trauma translates yeah and I'd so we have a lot of work to heal and we have a lot of humbleness that we have to muster because a lot of it, even before colonization, um, we we had wars and we had we've we've endured each mm. other, and so it's carried on. But then colonization just really lit, poured the oil on the fire and lit it all. Yes, it did. And and so it's it's just we are all really uh, rooted or walking wounds, and that's how we have to look at each other. Every single thing we see. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. that's how our work, um, you know, works is, is uh, that it's a work of healing. But, but in order to do that, there's a whole bunch of um, uh, accountability and, um, and uh, reckoning that, that has to happen, right? You know, I mean, the first yeah. thing is to actually know our real history. Um, and I, I do think, I do believe that we are headed towards a time um, in which we are going to arrive back to realizing that those indigenous methodologies, those indigenous ways of being and knowing really, were, you know, like talking to plants, talking to animals, um, you know, really were um, uh, uh, the proper way to, to acknowledge mm -hmm. these things. And it's going to be uh, through the window of our, uh, of our tools, our science, right? Mm -hmm. 
um, which is going to have to evolve, mm-hmm. right? It's going to have to it's going to have to move away from the Cartesian Newtonian model, and it's going to start to have to move towards the holistic model, which is you know where um, the edges of um, the edges of uh, quantum physics is taking us, because quantum physics is doesn't make any sense unless you put a whole a wholeness into it (laughs) right like we can't get anywhere with this unless we understand something greater yeah and um so yeah i i do think we're we're headed that direction with with all this yeah i i think so too but also we don't really have another choice we don't you know because we continue this way yeah yeah we're gonna have to have humble heart and as soon as we we come to it with that humbleness and we stop um, declaring our own um, all-knowing and just start listening a little bit. Right. <clears throat> things change. And so there, that's the hope that I see. On the other hand, it's not going to happen tomorrow, unfortunately. We still have a rough road ahead until we get there. We do. And right. so with Farmer Frog, that's another thing we do is we show people how to grow food. And how to do things in their own local community and seasonally aware. And um, we also support and respect science because science will be one of the most important tools. It's, it's a real fine line, you know, because um, I'm very aware, you know, like we've had so many conversations with so many people. And when we start to talk about this, there are a lot of people who will say, oh, yeah, talk to the animals and yes, and all of this stuff. And then next thing you know, is Earth is flat. So <laughs> we have to be, you know, and then and then you have the whole vaccination conversation and the whole. So we have to be sure that science is is all is if we don't believe in science. We learn science and we use science. It's not a faith. Well said. Yeah. yeah right. Well and, said. <laughs> and so that, that's it. That's true. It's true. Um, it's, I think, um, you know, I, I mean, out of chaos comes form, right? Right. We did a very good job creating a huge chaos. And when I say we, it's, it's humanity and, um, it's, um, it's colonization was a really big part of all of that. And even today it's still moving forward and it's really driven by, um, in in the U.S. in particular, but in a lot of parts of the world, is white supremacy that is driving it. Yeah. Um, not everywhere, because we also know that um, the Uyghurs right now, for example, are in concentration camps because the Chinese government is putting them in there. But it is still fueled by that colonization model right. that was established by the white right. uh, colonizers. Yeah. It's the hands are different, but the mentality was yeah. Driven in. And so we kind of have to change all this. But, you know, at the same time, when I really think about it, chaos is an opportunity. Yeah. So we're going to have to find those new, new steps. Right. The, right. Um, one of the things that, one of the stories I like to tell in kind of dispelling um, some of the myths of, of, white supremacy, which is really misunderstood in our culture because we think it's peoples with hoods, but, um, but it's not. Um, one of the stories I like to tell is the story of how 
um, of how Christopher Columbus knew exactly where he was going. Oh, yeah. He wasn't looking for mm -hmm. a route to Asia. Mm -mm. Um, and he knew it where he was going because his brother stole the maps from the Portuguese map room. And the maps that were in the Portuguese map room were maps of the parts of the maps of the world that were written by, um, by Chinese cartographers mm -hmm. 70 mm -hmm. years previous when the Zhuhi fleets circumnavigated the globe. Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting about that, um, you know, that's the last Ming dynasty, uh, the last emperor of the Ming dynasty had sent these fleets out. And what's interesting is that it was, these fleets were not bent on colonization. No. They were not bent on dominion. They were bent, they, what they wanted to do is they wanted to circle the globe um, they they wanted the knowledge of the globe, but they wanted the trading relationships yeah. with the globe as well, Absolutely. because they knew that as they fostered um, mm -hmm. uh, and, and grew and other nations could foster and grow, mm -hmm. that a global community could, yeah. could occur. By the time those fleets arrived back to China four years later, the emperor had died um, and the, the Manchurians um, had rushed in and decided to close yeah. off the country and the country would remain closed for, you know, Very 400 years. Very long time. And so, um, and so as China has decided to turn the wheels on, um, on moving out of an agrarian society and into a, a modern society, what they've done is they've adopted global colonized exactly. capitalistics. That's right. And um, yeah, they are a con communist country, but they're a capitalist communist country. Oh, yeah. and, and it's it's terrible for, it for the people who are there too. And that's the other trauma that we have to really look at. Because a lot of our stuff, most of our stuff comes from China. Yeah. And we only look at the price tag, never questioning what it costs the people creating it. Right. Mm -hmm. And the people in China, you know, we <laughs> see these images and all, and yes, there is, some movement forward, but the suffering is there. And so it's, it is. And so we have to remember that when we see other areas in the world acting in a strange way, it really does come back to the white supremacy model and the training that that provides and that capitalist model that was initiated by that. And yes, it's not with hoods. It, you don't be wish it was with hoods. It would be obvious. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. You, you, you know, but it's it's not. And um, and that that I think it's so important um, to 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 understand that because one of the things that Jerry and I talk about is is that um, our work um starts with um starts with trying to dispel the myth of race yeah um but there's a reality it's, it's oh, a yeah. duality right there's uh -huh. a there's a reality of race too we live within a social construct but biologically and, and genetically there's no such thing and as we do that we have to talk about culture and and um we can start with the words white supremacy culture um but some but that's very triggering for so many people although it describes it very well so we move to the idea of dominant culture, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, which is just kind of glazing over what it really is. But really what we are trying to get to is we're trying to get to the idea that actually what this is, is it's globalized or it's colonized culture. Yeah. Because when we can get to the idea of colonized culture, we can get people um, a reference point in time space where we can then tell them now reach back to your yeah. indigeneity. Mm -hmm. You might not be able to see them. You might not be able to understand them. You might not, mm -hmm. you know, the myths you were told was they were huddling in caves 
you know, with wrapped in mm-hmm. furs, tr- struggling to, to make fire as the glaciers impeded mm-hmm. upon them. That's a lie. They had a rich culture. They were a beautiful culture. They were a European culture. Um, no, they weren't perfect. Uh, you know, they were like any other indigenous group there is. But what they did is they understood the stars. They knew they were in relationship with the land. They were in relationship with the, the, the water. And they, were, they, they had a communal sense about all of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and once we reach back to, to the ancestors, we can create a hermeneutic loop where it can give us a vision to a future yeah. that we can't imagine now. Exactly. And we also, you know, while we respect everyone's faith, right, we also have to be very clear about organized religion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what harm that creates and this whole sending people out in ministry. And actually, it, the, the whole entire colonization used religion as their, their weapon. Mm-hmm. Yes, they did. Yep. And capitalism used religion as a weapon and does still today today yep the biggest arguments are always about you know god wants this and god wants that well no right (laughs) no that's not how that goes right and if we go back to the the original truth it's nowhere there's no discussion about it it's always some theological theory there was none of that Mm-hmm. The, the truth is that, yes, we are all of the same concept, same material, and that is simply love. Right. right. And that what runs through everything. And so creating the divide, forgetting that, that's helping breaking communities and breaking people. And we got to change that, and we got to change it in a way that brings us together. Because that's the other challenge, you know, as we are talking about all this, healing trauma and healing stepping forward, we got to heal all this. So until there are concentration camps anywhere around the world, we are not in the right place. Right. And there are concentration yeah. camps. And we must, we must acknowledge, you know, mm-hmm. all of them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what religion, what faith, what not, how people look and dress and whatever. We got to acknowledge that the pain is there and they're right to actually have joy. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's so important, and, and it is. It, it has to be. We're going to have to have these very hard conversations at governmental levels and diplomacy levels, and, and we are going to have to move into a global community where these things are no longer in the, in the back rooms. How are we going to get there is a, is a real big question, and also how soon, because time, while it's not real, it is also of the essence. Yeah, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're knocking on the door. I think, um, what, what is the name of that, that um, Dr. Larry? Ward. Dr. Larry Ward. Um, it's got a great podcast that, um, that I listened to yesterday. Well, well Chris Hudima actually shared it. Yeah, Chris Hudima shared it with us. Um, but he, he talks about the, the healing, the racialized trauma. Oh yeah. He talks about the, mm-hmm. the rapid need to move from, um, identification with a westernized, um, a westernized form of thought mm-hmm. and moving towards a globalized mm-hmm. form of thought. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm not. You know, I'm not associated with with this Western colonized idea of of you know of who I am as mm-hmm. a person. I'm associated with this idea that I am a I am a human being mm-hmm. of, of Earth. 
Yes. And that's and you yeah. know that's that's exactly. so vital that we get there. We have to uh, we we have to and we have to help places like North Korea. We have to help places like China and people like the Uyghur. We have to help places even like what's going on in Russia right now. What goes on in Central Europe? Um, I hate to say it, but Hungary has a Nazi government. Mm-hmm. And so we have to make sure that all of these things are acknowledged for what they are right now. Mm-hmm. The problem is addressed as it is, but there is also healing taking place yeah. and coming together. And it's all, it's, it's, you know, history. Yes, we look at history. There were crisis moments in human history many, many times. There is a uniqueness in this moment right now because we have this we have podcasts we have internet we have the ability to communicate anywhere around us right and um talk and share and expose and acknowledge and so um and our words are becoming so powerful because we can heal or kill with it Mm -hmm. in very far away places where we never will see them Right. Um, same way with military, with the drone technology. This is really terrible that people never leave their living room and killing people on the other side of the planet for yep. real. Yep. It's really, um, it's a real powerful moment. And we are also in the moment of climate change in a way that humanity, our species, has not seen before. And we also have the most number of our species on the planet that we've, uh, we've seen before. It's, we haven't been this many eight billion almost yeah, almost eight billion and and so uh i almost i always like to think of it like it's a big party a big chance so everybody comes you know anyone who ever lived you know i do believe in reincarnation and so to me it's like okay everyone is here now because we are all called to be here there yeah. are a lot of things at hand that we can work <laughs> through but um you know, we also have to be very real about the very real barriers and obstacles that we face today. Yeah. And so that comes down to our systems. That comes down in our case that we battle, um, you know, the system of racism hmm. that underlies it all. This is that, that shows up, you know, in ac- lack of access of the education system, lack of access of good, healthy food system, lack of access to mm-hmm. health care system, yep. lack of access to housing systems. These are all adding up. And as a result, we see that our very neighbors, particularly the black indigenous and and neighbors of color, they are really hit hard. And they are often without a shelter and safe place to live, have no access to healthy food, which means that they are actually starting to show some really severe diseases in really large numbers at a very young age. We are now looking at children who are not even in school yet showing diabetes type mm-hmm. two it's it's just really scary yes and heart conditions and blood pressure problems and so uh we have to look at that and then of course this requires health care which they don't have access to and um it's just and even transportation to me transportation is a human right totally while we don't want to transport ourselves and our food large distances we still need to make sure that we can get to Right. Things that we do need. So, yeah, like, um, like grocery stores that actually have fruits and vegetables. Exactly. Not and convenience stores that absolutely, have potato chips and absolutely. And you know, pop. it's a constitutional right in the U.S. And the way I look at it is, is if we have the right to pursue happiness, we have the right to access these systems. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. I think the problem is, is, and this is another piece to not understanding our history, 
this this uh, this country was founded on the ideals of of Republic for white men, but actually for white men, but is actually um, yeah. um, more much more of an of a corporation, mm-hmm. um, and um, and uh, in being uh, in being that. Um, it operates in the same way that that so many businesses do, you know, like, thank you so much for your 20 years of service. We're going to have to let you go, you know, mm-hmm. um, you, like the care for the individual or even the humanity in a person is just not there. And, and so and so um, and so we don't provide um, universal health care. Mm-hmm. We don't have a concern. It, it is a human right. Those yeah. are human yeah. rights. You are. I, I agree with you. Um I, but they're not rights secured underneath no, the incorporated. Not, not currently. Yeah. Um, there is also hope in there. We have yeah. some amazing representatives who are fighting for that. And we must take responsibility as people. So we are growing up mm-hmm. and our world is growing up. And um, our tomatoes are growing up. <laughs> we are all, you know, I mean, we are all moving toward that. But it's it's really an incredible moment, and um, hmm. I think there is just so much to it. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's like as I'm listening to you, you know, sharing your story, Sophia, the um, the opportunity for us as individuals to grow our own food, right? It's yeah. like learning how to grow our own food has such a um, systemic effect. Yeah, when we have good food. Without all of the chemicals, we don't have the we don't have the trauma that is placed into the foods that we're actually consuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like when we look at our health care, when the whole COVID thing came about, it was like people went out and bought toilet paper. I'm like, why are they not buying good food? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. I know. Yeah. Why? Wait, we're, we we have this. And, we have and this. And why aren't we backwards. having a national conversation? And why are we having to, a national how to conversation? Build your immune system and exactly. And it's like when we have healthy foods, then it helps with our immune system. We're yeah. able to be a lot more healthier. Mm-hmm. Which then it's like okay, then the our healthcare should be something that is um, more of a preventative measure, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Not a reactive measure. Yeah. And it's like I feel it all starts with the food that we have. Yeah. And then looking at all of the different countries and the different different cultures and the ethnic background, one of the common things that we have besides love is the fact that we yes. all got to eat. Yeah. Yeah. How do we feed each other? Yeah. How do we care for one another? How do we get back to that place where we all take personal accountability for the basic needs of our family? And then help others. Yeah. Um, we had before COVID. So COVID changed a lot of things. And we are learning as we go right now, week by week, what is coming back online and how it's it's shifting. But we had a lot of school garden projects where we were um, helping with school gardens and provided education. We are still a clock hour provider for teachers. So um, we, we do do that. And... Um, this summer, we finally had a few weeks of summer camp again, and we are now doing some uh, monthly activities for kid groups. So that is going on again. But, um, you know, with school gardens, everything is um, in a limbo. Schools are trying to figure out how they are going to be functioning in this new world, I believe. And um, we had um, 
neighborhood gardens and pocket farms and some of those organizations closed since, but others are coming online. So we have actual conversations with other groups who are now starting up or reviving themselves. And um, ultimately, it's so important, um, you know, it's, I'm not saying no to online connection. It's very important that we use the internet and use it wisely. And sometimes even games can be actually connecting. And, um, you know, for example, we have a daughter who lives in New Zealand and there is no way for many years now with pandemic that we will visit often. So we haven't seen them for a long time. So online games are actually not a bad way to connect mm-hmm. and, and, and have something together. But um, it, we need to get back outside. Yeah. We need to go out into the gardens, into forest, and what a good, there's, I don't think, can think of a better way, this is why we do this, is then through food growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, um, we all eat multiple times a day, and um, most of us, I have to be careful because I actually know a couple of people who have some horrific uh, childhood experiences around food, but most of us have very good experiences coming together for holidays, yeah, gathering, whether um, it's family or with friends, uh, special dishes, some of those things that are really favorites. Mm-hmm. And so when we start to come together in gardens, we start to share that. And anytime, you know, you hand food to another person, we know because we've done it now, so many million pounds of it, you know, with the masks on, we look at each other and we look each, into each other's eyes. And that's really a heart to heart connection. Right. And, um, you know, it's like handing that food over. And then the story comes out. And, you know, my grandmother or my grandpa or my uncle or the neighbor, the, the, some, it's usually involving an elder. Yep. Because it's our roots. And um, the memory of that food is healing. And so um, we know from psycho- psychotherapy that as we have pleasant thoughts, our blood pressure stabilizes yes. and we calm and we can overcome stress better and our immune system strengthens, right? These are measurables. Right. And so these things happen in community gathering places and in gardens that are centered around food. So because of that, we are really encouraging it and um, we are talking to people to do that. We also do it at our headquarters site. Our team is a family Mm. and we share knowledge, we share experiences with each other. We speak many languages. We have radios on the farm and you will rarely hear English. You will hear, first of all, you will hear Marshallese because large portion of our crew are Marshallese people. And then um, some of us are learning a little bit. So we, you know, <laughs> we try to speak it. It's really, you know, then you hear laughter. Then you hear Hungarian. You will hear Spanish. When we have some of the volunteers group, you will hear some Russian. And then you will hear some English too. But that's really, to me, is coming together and experiencing each other in a really beautiful way and forming the global family. Yeah. And, and also healing trauma, like in terms of the Marshallese community, yeah. the nuclear tests that U.S. Yes. had done, the hydrogen bomb. Yes. Yes. They, they actually lost their livable land yeah. to war without a war. Yeah. And 
today, two generations after, the impact of that radiation is there. The the dome is cracking over one of the sides. Right. And so there is all that trauma that that is really needed to be, you know, healed. And then that climate change that is largely again Western culture caused. Yeah. And the water is rising and their their islands are shrinking. Right. And so um, there is all that conversation around that. And that also means that you're talking about a group of people who are seafarers. Yes. They are sea people. They are not the people who used to grow the carrots. Right. You know, they, they are, uh, you know, but here they are now growing all these things and growing all this food. And so the recipe sharing and, and all of that, you know, the, the back and forth and, and um, just expanding, expanding our knowledge. And so, you know, I, I, I call it not really classes and teaching programs, but really wisdom sharing for a reason. Because we all have knowledge. Uh, you know, if you had kids, you know that the two-year-olds have knowledge too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, if we are willing and open, we can all leave with new knowledge. Yes, yes. And, and that's what learning needs to be. And I think that's transformational for schools. So like in our educational programs, we use um, the, the self-directed learning practices. And um, we really are um, looking at various ways on turning the typical classroom upside down because this is not a one-way road. Learning is an is, is a infinite-way road. Yeah. It's, it's, it's observing, it's monitoring, it's expressing, and it's, it's constant. So um, it's food. Food is doing that too. You know, um, there are so many things we only know how to eat one way. <laughs> but you can have it in, like, take the Brassica family. Amazing. Actually, this, this year, I never knew about, I knew Brussels sprouts and Brassica, you can eat the whole thing. But I never knew what happens when you let the Brassica, Brussels sprouts, blow up in the heat, 110 degree heat. We all lost the Brussels sprout crop. I thought, they are so beautiful, I don't want to cut them. <laughs> so they started growing these leaves, and they actually look and taste a lot like collard greens. Really? And beautiful leaves that came out of these little sprouts that just turned into this Jumanji <laughs> on, on that hot weekend in June. And so, yeah, it's, it's really great. And, but, you know, we, the learning of it, like learning how to eat green bean leaves, mm-hmm. how to eat pumpkin leaves, how to eat pepper leaves. And, you know, when I think about the sustainability and resiliency piece in all of this, because when community comes together and starts to understand their environment and what they can eat and, and consume and how, and, and, and also put it back into the natural cycle, we become resilient. Mm. If climate change pushes us longer, we won't be able to actually get to the fruit-bearing phases on many plants during yes. many years. Yeah. yeah. But you can still eat that plant in a very nutritious phase. Huh. So yeah. unfortunate to a tomato, they are really right. toxic other than the berry. Yeah. Right, right. Right. But lucky for pepper. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can eat those leaves too. Yep. And so um, we just really have to think outside of what we have known. But 
it's and and as we do, we're gonna be discovering the food and 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 um, meals of other cultures, and we will be sharing that. There's nothing wrong with that. But then we have to be very careful with appropriation because mm-hmm. that is something that is causing a lot of pain as well. Right. Just like this year, earlier this year was actually um, the shortage of raw fish in Hawaii because yes. all the tourists were coming in yes. and eating it up. Yeah. Yep. yep. And so people who needed it for their own health and, and practice traditional It's our practice. Food. It yeah. is. The we people didn't have, didn't have it. Right. We didn't have it. Because of tourists, right? Yeah. So, and, and appropriation can happen in many other ways as well. Hmm. We have to be careful that we acknowledge. Let's all do fusion. We can all do fusion. But, you know, when we start doing fusion cooking, we have to be respectful and acknowledging where that came from. Yes. Yeah. Like when quinoa hit the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then, and then the people didn't have it anymore down yeah. in the South American region. And, and it's, it's, um, it's happening actually with all kinds of things. And it's not that, that we cannot stylicize, you know, the recipes and food is fun. And it's always, and it's an art form. Mm-hmm. And um, we all will have our own family recipes too. But acknowledge the source. Acknowledge where it is from. N- know that... There is nothing wrong calling it the neighbor grandmother's recipe mm. that my um, brother changed a little bit. Right. That's, right. A, that's, that's traditions kept alive and actually evolving. That's how we grow. And that's wisdom sharing. Yeah. Exactly. And that's different than appropriation. And we have to be very careful of that. Exactly. Mm. Everything that you talked about, Jeremy and Jerry, it's very fine lines, right? Mm-hmm. It's, very, it's very fine lines. And, you know, it's like as... I, <clears throat> I like that you call it wisdom sharing. Yeah. You know, I mean, in that's pretty much my whole entire dissertation, right? <laughs> Is <clears throat> talking on talking about how we share aloha. Yeah. And ha is the breath of life. And when we share our stories, we exchange knowledge with each other. Mm-hmm. We're able to come to the table around food to have debates Mm -hmm. to find healing to talk with each other ha is sharing the breath of life that means when we share our stories we engage in our wisdom that's sharing yeah that's sacred yes that's sacred knowledge that we have especially when we are reaching back to our own indigeneity and acknowledging that the wisdom that is coming from us is coming through our ancestors. Mm-hmm. When it is appropriated, like all of these pokey houses that's mm-hmm. running around and building up all over the place, not, not acknowledging the fact that the raw fish, the ahi, the tuna, that's our staple foods of Hawaii. And when you overfish, Mm -hmm. then it takes away from the people of Hawaii who depend on that. It takes away from the seafarers, right? It's like the people that live on the islands. Mm -hmm. Just so that way you can have something and say that, oh, yeah, I tried poke for the first time. But then you have no idea. (laughs) It's the milk that comes from Japan, right? For the (laughs) sweetness, right? Right, exactly, exactly. So... We do need to be a lot more careful on how we are treating and, you know, caring for Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's when I look at our indigenous ways of knowing and being and the sacredness that we have to the connection. When we can have the connection to our water source, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to our food, to our air, to, you know, grandmother cedar, to the trees and, and knowing that they're giving us oxygen. They're giving us ha. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The trees are sharing their breath of life yeah. with us. Why would we want to, you know, go to places where there's deforestation mm-hmm. so that way you can put down concrete bricks and stuff like that to build greenhouses where you can call it organic because all of this other you stuff. You don't use pesticides. You, you don't use pesticides. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's where the law becomes um, the law becomes a curse uh, mm-hmm. upon us, right? The law gives us order, and um, and uh, you know, and that uh, that allows us to move forward actually with colonization. Yeah, the earliest colonization was um, um, the law, right? You know, like uh, yeah. uh, the Hebrews leave Egypt, and what do they? What does God do? He gives them the law, and um, and so, but it can also be a curse because, mm-hmm. um, because the law is made of words and those words can be interpreted. So when the word organic is certified under law as this is what organic is, you suddenly have the ability for people who want to make money quickly and easily to take a look at the law and say, you know, under these terms, we could maximize production by bringing everything under greenhouses and wipe out all this farmland and yeah. And uh um yeah. And greenhouses do have a place. Mm-hmm. But we have to be very careful what else is there. Mm-hmm. It's always the moderation. Even in our right. nutrition, you know, we can we can all eat a little bit of something. Right. It's what we do and how we do. And it will depend on individual sites, it will depend on individual people. And you know, as we are looking at the seven or almost eight billion people, humans on this planet, we also have to look at some places we are going to have to remove trees. Yeah, yeah. We're going to have to, and we're going to have to be looking at dense dense population in places where it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. But how we address that and how we tackle it and what happens in the in-betweens, because the sprawl, right? It's just like right. cancer. It's like everywhere now. Right. Um, we are learning so much about this and the impacts. And um, I think that there is the learn- learned wisdom, the gained wisdom, but then there's, the sharing isn't there. Mm-hmm. And there are all these barriers, laws or policies, or sometimes it's not even written down. It's just people, you know, one person tells the other and nobody questions it. Right, right. And, um, and so that's, that's something that with conversations around the table with food is where we can overcome mm-hmm. all this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, we can actually start bridging those gaps that are created in a very artificial way because um, people are bombarded right now and that's the dark side of the internet the radio right. and the tvs and all these you know news <laughs> right. channels and everything else that are just like Too spewing all this stuff all the time yeah. and there is no time to actually comprehend double check you know it, it, it takes a lot and so um when real connection happens person to person through a meal that 
they can all agree on. Healing happens and conversation happens and the gap closes a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the more of that, the, the, clo- the sooner we close the gap and, and the sooner these bridges are, are put in place, the sooner we can get to that global existence of one, of, of one species on this planet that we all look different, but we love each other no matter what. And that is really the most important thing right now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So where, um, where can people, can, can people just go out to Farmer Frog? Do they need to contact you to do that? Yeah, we have. So right now it's been pretty steady in terms of COVID policies, but um, if they, you know, waves come, surges, whatever, if it changes, hours change. Currently, people can come to the farm as it stands Tuesday through Saturday between two, uh, 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. And those are um, for farm hours. We also have our distribution hours, which change and they are different. Again, right now we are talking mid-November 2021. It's Wednesday through Friday, 9 to 2 for food distribution. But um, the one of the best ways to do uh, is uh, for food distribution to check Facebook because um, we post any changes there. It's very quick. Website updates take some time. But, um, you know, if there is um, another surge and, and our policy, policies about how many people can be in a place and whatnot uh, change, we might have to change those situations. But typically we are closed Sunday, Monday. I mean, the farm never closes. We have livestock. So, you know, that alone requires people there. But uh, toward the public, we do close Sunday and Monday. Okay. So people could follow you um, at the Farmer Frog mm-hmm. on um, Facebook. Yeah, on Facebook. Twitter, we are not as busy right now, but we do have it. And, and um, you know, it's um, we have amazing team members who, under their own um handle they do tiktok and they are viral and so (laughs) farmer frog is mentioned on this you know it's so sweet actually because it's animal stories oh is it really but they are real deals so um we have this really sweet uh opossum colony in the forest and they sometimes come in because they love eggs oh (laughs) and a couple of times we know gustin from the way his tail looks he comes in and he eats so many eggs that he cannot even move. I mean, he really, he has egg drippings on his <laughs> mouth. And then he just sits there and his, you would poke him, he would roll over. So then Guston gets into a shoebox and then we move him out into the forest and then he finds his way back at some point. We had a youngster um, not very long ago, a few days ago, actually. And so we check them over. They are really healthy. Opossums are one of the best animals. Yeah, they're... They look really funny. And one day I will publish this book, The Opossum Story, because I have this story about <laughs> opossum that I used to tell my kids I made it up, why he looks this funny. And it's because opossum was actually a real nightlife drunk. <laughs> And he would always get drunk in the bars and then he would just fall into the ditch and he never would work. And so when um, Creator decided to give bodies to all the spirits, Creator opened the shop and everybody came through and all the animals came through and opossums slept throughout the whole time (laughs) in the ditch. And so um, 
he woke up and it was closed, you know, right around sunset. And he got like, oh, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, I'm late, I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. So Opossum is really running very, very fast and the creator is about to close shop. And um, Opossum is like, please, no, 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 I, I really want a body. I really want a body. Please, 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 please. So creator looks at Opossum and says, okay. Here is the deal. I still have some leftover pieces. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're going to get all these things. But because of how you almost missed, you're going to be awake at night. You're going to be uh, sleeping during the day. <laughs> you're going to be hanging upside down. You're going to have, you know, all these different pieces, pouch and tail and whatnot. And um, to make you feel better, you'll be immune to rabies. <laughs> and, um, and there you go. And so that's opossum. And so I have a real <laughs> liking to them. And uh, so we always check them. And this one was also a pretty healthy youngster. And um, so, yeah, and, and we have these guys coming in and going. So, yeah, there is that story because then they put it on TikTok. And then we, um, we have just all kinds of things happening on the farm. I mean, you know, goats and sheep and all kinds of birds and four livestock guardian dogs and a bunch of barn cats. You know, it's like you can write a book every day. Yeah, you could. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you could. <clears throat> well, we need to get out to the we need to get out to to the farm. Yeah, definitely. yeah, we should uh, so we'll we should get the kids together and and go out there. Yeah, I think that would be awesome. But um, Sophia, I want to just thank you so much for being part of the Plowline podcast. I mean, like I was telling you, um, Jeremy and I was talking about, you know, what what we're going to talk about. And I have the Mixed Plate podcast and he has, a, well, we have the Plowline podcast, which, it, you know, the tagline is, Growing ideas, cultivating change. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so having you be part of the Plowline mm-hmm. podcast really. Yeah, we were talking this morning. And I was that. like, <laughs> shouldn't she be on the Plowline podcast? Like, I want to talk to her too. Right. You know, because <laughs> Mixed Plates, uh, um, Jerry's, and, and, uh, um, and it's awesome. If you haven't heard it, you, you really need to go check out the Mixed Plate podcast because she's, she's really, really good at, at interviewing. Oh, thank you, sweetheart. Yeah. Thank you. But, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, who have been listening to the Plowline podcast, Growing Ideas and Cultivating Change. Uh, tune in for the next episode. And don't forget to subscribe to Plowline Podcast and the Mix Play Podcast, available on all popular podcast um, platforms. So, the Mix Play Podcast, again, is with me, Jerry Balarosa Tanel. And um, there is a. Um, exclusive non-edited video content for its members only so i'm going to have you on that so then that way we could actually videotape it so sophia be ready for another invite and so you could if you want to help continue this work by becoming a supporter you could head over to the uh, patreon.com backslash mixplate podcast your contributions will go directly toward production and building engaging content and this is a plow line production and is produced in the combined assistance of the dynamic duel Jeremy Tanel and Hunter Cronholm. Do you want to say anything? Did I miss anything? If you're uh, if you're at all interested in our work um, uh, in a professional aspect, uh, co3consulting.net, co3consulting.net, Jerry. Co number three. Co number three. Consulting.net. Um, Jerry and I offer a number of different workshops and programs on there as well as uh, keynoting for the various uh, projects and books that we're working on, which include The Evolution of Aloha, 
and dismantling whiteness. Sylvia, anything you'd like to say? <laughs> this is awesome. Thank you. I'm really honored, actually, to be here. Yeah, we were I honored really to have am. you. Thank you so much. <laughs> and um, yeah, well, if uh, people want to get in contact with uh, with us, farmerfrog.org is the website to go to. Uh, at the Farmer Frog is our handle for many things. And, um, you know, you can always email us at grow, G-R-O-W, at farmerfrog.org as well. That's the generic email. Yeah, I love your mission. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Until next time, please take care of yourselves and each other. Ahui ho. Until we see each other again. Mahalo. <laughs>